Knowledge is information that gets into your head and hopefully some understanding. Wisdom is knowing what to do with that for making good judgments, good decisions. I've got a a few stories that I want to talk about regarding knowledge, regarding wisdom, just to kind of set the stage for where we're going today. Now, normally, one of the pastors that's up here, um, I'm not a pastor, by the way, I'm Peter Boyer, one of the elders here, but if you attend here regularly, one of the pastors here will usually talk about personal experiences with the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is always usually a depressing experience, Um, stories about raising little children, stories about on the farm. I just realized, I didn't even realize the first, the, the first time I preached this this morning, but just, just kind of reflecting, most of my stories center around eating, so I don't know what that means, but it's just saying, <laughs> Mike, you can't make a comment. <clears throat> Every time Mike and I get together, we talk about food, it's just a thing. So a couple of these stories I've told before, but they really, for me, they're really important stories for me because they, they set the stage in my mind about what actually goes on or sometimes what does not go on in the mind of a human being when confronted with information. So back 15, 20 years ago when the Ponderosa restaurants were, were here in, uh, in Halifax, my family enjoyed going to these restaurants, probably a character flaw. I don't know, we enjoy going to Ponderosa. And the way it was, if you've never been there, is you come in, it's like a cafeteria style, you put your order, you may order some soups that are there, uh, there's big terrines, you order your steak dinner, whatever, they take your name, uh, and then you, you get your stuff, you go to your table, and then they bring your steak to your table. They know, know what table you're going to sit at. Well, this one particular time we were there, and we were waiting for half an hour, and our steaks hadn't arrived. So I went up to the cash, cash register. Uh, another fellow was walking up beside me, and uh, when I got their attention, I said, excuse me, we're waiting for half an hour. Our steaks haven't arrived yet. The other man standing there, he said, same here, half an hour and no steaks. So the guy behind the counter, young fella, he said to me, he says, what's your name? What's your last name? I said, Boyer. He asked the other fella, he said something like Johnson. I said, okay. He went over, checked at the grill. He came back. He looked at me and he said, Boyer, your steaks are almost ready. The other fella, he says, what was your name again? And he said, Johnson. And he said, are you sure? I swear. The guy said, pretty sure. So he said, okay, I'll go check. He walked back to the grill and this other man looked at me and I said, I don't think that young fellow has any idea what he just said to you. <laughs> Situational awareness. Sometimes you can have information that doesn't actually turn into knowledge and understanding. Um, another, another situation, kind of more on a professional level, I spent my career as a, as a meteorologist, and many, many years ago, there was a junior forecaster in, uh, in one of our offices. Um, you, during the first two or three months, you've t- you got all the ed- education, now it's time to learn how to actually do the job. And uh, this particular junior forecaster during this three-month training, she was, she was writing a forecast, a uh, terminal forecast for one of the aerodromes in eastern Quebec. And so every time she's working shifts, 12-hour shifts, all she's doing is she's writing these terminal forecasts for planes taking off and landing, uh, different airports, but one of them was this one in eastern Quebec. It was actually a small airport. This one particular day, uh, we had a call from that, that area. There was a plane coming in. They had some issues with this plane, and they wanted to make sure that the forecasts were stable. They weren't going to be amending the forecast. It was going to be working out fine. And just, are we sure? And she said, she had, no, the forecast is really good. She gets off the phone. She looks at me, and I swear, she said, there's an airport there? <laughs> so for the last couple of months, when you've been writing this airport forecast for that particular airport, what did you think you were doing? Now, I didn't, I didn't bust your chops a whole lot, but it really shows sometimes what happens. You get so involved and enmeshed in the details of what's going on, you lose the big picture. And she just had no situational awareness. 
Then there's a situation where you may actually not learn from mistakes you've made. Let's go back to Ponderosa. Sorry. This one particular, another particular time we were there. Apparently we were gluttons for punishment. Apparently I don't learn from my mistakes. Um, we went back to Ponderosa. And on this particular day I wanted to know what soups they had. Great big terrines of soup. I couldn't really read the labels. And I said, so what are your soups today? And she said, we have chicken noodle. We have minestrone. Minestrone, I hadn't heard that. So I, I kind of looked, I had to look myself. I saw the title on the side of the tureen. It says minestrone. I said, oh, minestrone. <laughs> I swear. She said, oh, you're the second person today that's called it that. <laughs> Wisdom isn't just about figuring out how life works to make good decisions and good judgments. It's also about learning from your mistakes. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we started on this series in the book of Proverbs, and we're talking about, about wisdom. In the first three or four chapters of, of Proverbs, so, uh, King Solomon, who, who has written these Proverbs, is talking all about the importance of wisdom. And if you actually go through the book of Proverbs, and James reminded us when he, when he kind of opened the series on Proverbs that Solomon had written over, over 3,000 Proverbs, there's a whole bunch of really interesting things. And these little bits of wisdom, little snippets, little sound bites, can, uh, can actually be, you know, they can really make you think. Here's one. Um, from, tw- from Proverbs 26, Solomon wrote, it's better to take hold of a mad dog by the ears than to take part in someone else's argument. It's pretty clever. And if, you, if you've ever actually been involved in getting between two people that are arguing, you, you go, yeah, I get that. I, you know, it, this is one of those things that you learn from. Um, sometimes it can be just funny. Uh, it's better to stay outside on the roof of your house than to live inside with a nagging wife. See, if you're a guy, you think that's funny. If you're a guy sitting here and your wife is next to you, your colon just twisted a little bit because you didn't want her to see you laughing. Um, I don't care who you are, that's funny. Um, but there's some wisdom there. Uh, it can also be kind of gross. Dogs return to eat their vomit just as fools repeat their foolishness. Now, this is the word of God. The point is that If you sin, if you screw up, if you make a mistake and you don't learn from that and you go back to doing the same foolish things again, that's just as disgusting as a dog who returns to eating his vomit. And I've I've seen dogs actually do that. It's really disgusting. Well, to God, it's just as disgusting. So hopefully, disgusting images like that will just kind of get your attention. This is the whole idea of these little proverbs is they get your attention. Sometimes it can be just very sobering. Uh, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. We all have an idea of what's right, what's wrong, what works, what doesn't work, how the world should unfold, the whole business of our expectations and all of that other stuff. But one of the things I learned a long time ago, I found to be really, really true, and that is the difference between a wise man and a fool. A wise man can learn from a fool. I want to talk today about a wise man who became a fool, Uh, Solomon. And a couple of weeks ago, we heard kind of the upside, the uh, Solomon and his rise to, rise to claim and fortune. His uh, father, King David, had died, a uh, prominent uh, individual in the history of the Israelites. Um, David is a man after God's own heart, and he dies. Solomon takes over as the reign. It wasn't a, it wasn't a simple transition. There was a lot of uh, bloodshed, but they, they established kind of a stable kingdom with Solomon at the helm. Solomon built the temple for God. He was blessed. And as James reminded us a few weeks ago, he asked God one day for wisdom and, and or for you know yeah for wisdom to, to basically lead the nation. And God gave him wisdom, and He gave him everything else as well. Didn't stay that way. 
But before we kind of start bashing Solomon, and I don't want this to be a time where we're, we're gossiping about somebody who failed because we all fail. What I want us to do is I want to see if we can learn from, from his mistake. But before that, he writes this incredible verse in Proverbs chapter 4. After the first three and a half chapters of just mindless repetition, like a broken record about the importance of wisdom. I can, as, as I'm reading this, and, and Solomon's writing this to his sons so that they can learn. I can almost imagine myself when my son was nine or ten years old and, and I was just on this endless drone and bleating all the time about, pay attention, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. And I can see my son's eyes just kind of glazing over and I lost him because it was so boring. First few chapters of, of Proverbs are actually really, really boring because it just talks about you need wisdom. It's really important wisdom. You've got to get wisdom. By the way, did you know you have to get wisdom? Oh, yeah, I get it, I get it. And then he hits us with this verse, and he starts off, above all else. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Later on, the prophet Jeremiah would say, the heart is the most deceitful of all things. And someone who's deceitful is someone who's trying to convince you that something is true or something isn't true. And Jeremiah is saying this, and basically Solomon is teaching us through the Proverbs. Jesus would remind us of this later, that our heart can be very deceitful tries to convince us of a different reality of what's really going on. And so, keeping in mind the words of Jeremiah that the heart is the most deceitful of all things, Solomon here, in his wisdom, his experience to that point, he says, above all else, guard your hearts, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else. That's just one of those statements that you just say, okay, take everything that he said, everything he wrote, and lift this one above all the others because this one needs to get our attention. Above all else. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Solomon. Um, I'm going to talk about him like he was in, in a race. He had, he had a great start to the race. He had a brutal middle of the race, and, and he kind of had a mediocre finish to the race. Now, we're, we're kind of guessing. Uh, history doesn't tell us definitively. The scriptures don't tell us definitively. But what we kind of gather from what he wrote, he wrote Proverbs, Song of Songs, and Ecclesiastes. What we can gather from his writings is that when he asked God for wisdom and God blessed him with wisdom, he, he had this tremendous wisdom and it was renowned, world-renowned. People came from all over the world at that time because of what they heard about him and came to him with questions uh, ju- for judgments and decisions and just to, just to see how clever this guy was. And he wrote during that time, I believe, most of the Proverbs. Then he had this fatal collapse, and we're going to look at that in a second, where he just forgot all the stuff that he had told everyone else to do But at the end of his life, and I think we capture this in the book of Ecclesiastes, at the end of his life, he essentially is looking back in in sad reflection. And if you read Ecclesiastes, and I encourage you to do this, make sure you do it when you have time to read the whole thing. I made the mistake one time of uh, sitting down to read Ecclesiastes. I thought I'll read a chapter a day. Ah, Wrong answer. Don't do that. You will be so depressed you will never finish it. You've got to get to the end. Because it's brutal, because this is a guy who's lived a life where he screwed up, screwed up royally, and he basically says, you know what, I've done everything that I could imagine to do. I denied myself no pleasure. Let your mind wander at that. He denied himself no pleasure. He did everything imaginable. He studied, he learned, and he said at the end of it all, it's meaningless. But at the real end of it all, the real conclusion of the matter, I find interesting, because at the end of Ecclesiastes, he kind of finishes where he begins the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, he starts off in chapter 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. A few chapters later in Proverbs, he says, the, beginning of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. At the end of Ecclesiastes, I think near the end of his life, as he's kind of summing it all up, 
He says, here's my conclusion to the whole matter. Obey God, keep his commands. But before he says that, fear the Lord. It's like bookends. He starts off with this, he ends with this. But I want to take a look at what happens in the middle. Because I think for us, if there's going to be any value for us, this isn't just about wisdom. This is about the deepest kind of wisdom that I believe is possible. And that is not just to learn from your mistakes, but to learn from the mistakes of somebody else. It's really hard to do that. It's really hard to learn from the mistakes of somebody else. But I think, I think it's possible. Why did, he, why did he lose? If you're the wisest guy who's ever lived, that's what the scriptures say. It says he was the wisest man who ever lived up to that time. And since, uh, I'm pretty sure that Jesus was wiser because he didn't have the collapse. But how do you, how do you go from being the wisest man who ever lived to kind of forgetting that, to kind of losing that? Well, I had one friend one time speculate to me and say, well, maybe, maybe he didn't retain his wisdom because he didn't earn it the old-fashioned way through life experience and observations. It just was kind of given to him by God. Maybe, maybe wisdom that comes that way doesn't, doesn't get sustained. It, it, you can't hold on to it. I don't know. What I do know is that foolishness, well, it always comes the old-fashioned way. And that old-fashioned way is that you just stop paying attention to the things that you need to pay attention to. Above all else, Solomon wrote during his wise years, above all else, guard your hearts. In other words, pay attention. So what I want to do is I want to, I want to essentially look at what I'm going to call the anatomy of a fall. And we're going to look at, look at Solomon, not because we can point our fingers and say, man, what a bozo, but for lessons for us, because I think there's some powerful lessons here for us. For this story, I think I need to go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before Solomon was ever born. This is when Moses was setting up the system of the laws, the Levitical laws, uh, and back in, in those times, we can read all the, like 365 laws that were out there, but there were specific laws for, not just for regular people, but for the priests, and there were specific laws for kings. And here we see in Deuteronomy 17, specific laws, specific rules for the kings. God promises that a king and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel if he follows the following rules. And here are some things that I'm going to call the don'ts. A king must not, I want you guys to remember the first one. A king must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Okay, you guys remember that one. Next, you guys have a bigger job here. You must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself, he says, for, for himself, or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. So don't acquire a lot of horses, and certainly don't go back to Egypt to get any more of them. You guys already know what I'm asking of you. Um, the king must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. Okay, this is pretty simple. These are the things that he's supposed. These are things he's not supposed to do. Now let's look at his life. Well, for that we have to actually get into Kings and Chronicles to read about the kingdom of, of Israel through that time. And, and early in the in First Kings, we read about when David passes away, Solomon takes over the throne. Uh, the life he's living and all the wonderful things he's, he's doing in terms of teaching people, his wisdom is phenomenal. And then we read this story of uh, the encounter that he has with the Queen of Sheba. And f- right, very shortly following that, and she, by the way, she's very impressed with, with Solomon, very impressed. Um, right after that, we see kind of a shift in Solomon as recorded in the scriptures. 1 Kings chapter 10, the first thing it says is, the weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents depending on which uh, website you go to for weights and measures, 25 to 30 tons of gold. 
not including the revenues from merchants and traders and from all the Arabian kings and the governors of the territories. What was it that he was not supposed to accumulate? Silver and gold. Well, actually, in, in 1 Kings, it says that silver was so plentiful that they didn't, they didn't even count it because it was, it was, it was, there was so much of it. There's no value. But look how much gold he accumulated. He was told by God, don't accumulate silver and gold. And here he is accumulating. Well, I don't know, is it fair to say that 25 to 30 tons a year is accumulating? I'd say so. Um, also says, next, uh, Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. What was he not supposed to accumulate? Okay, right. Um, he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in chariot cities. He had cities dedicated just to keep his chariots and his horses, uh, also with him in, in Jerusalem. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt. Egypt. Where was he not supposed to bring, go for his horses? Egypt. Egypt, yeah, okay. It's almost as if Solomon had the list of don'ts, and he's saying, okay, I can see how many of these don'ts I can actually do with great precision. Um, then the last one, in, in chapter 11. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn you, your hearts after their gods. He had 700 wives of royal birth. What was he not supposed to accumulate? Many wives. Many wives. Is 700, is that fair to say that's many? <laughs> um, and 300 concubines, because apparently 700 wives aren't enough for you. I'm not sure what kind of a libido you have to have to need a thousand. Um, I'm making fun of Solomon, but there actually is a serious point here. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. The result of this was that God was so upset with Solomon, because what happened as he grew older, if you continue to read in 1 Kings chapter 11, that as he got older, these wives started to nag him. Probably where he got that thing about the roof. They started to nag him. They started to pester him. They wanted to, they wanted to be able to worship their gods, which they came from all these other countries. And so he started building altars and idols to these false gods. And God became very unhappy because he had basically done exactly what he was told not to do. And this was the final straw. And so what he did was he said, that's it. I put you in charge of this kingdom. I'm taking it away. You've lost You've lost this as your legacy. But because of God's respect for King David, he waited until, Jer- uh, until uh, Solomon had died and he basically put that curse onto his son Rehoboam. And Rehoboam lost the kingdom. And from that point on, the kingdom of Israel was divided to the north and the south. Essentially, two-thirds of the people and about three-quarters of the land was ripped away from the control of Solomon and his children and given uh, to the other tribes. Okay, let's just kind of stop for a second. We, we can make fun of this business with the, with the gold and the horses and the wives. A thousand women, really? Really? Hard to imagine the wisest man in the world doing that. How do you go from being the wisest guy in the world to doing that, especially when the God that gave you that wisdom has told you, uh, there, there's three things in particular I don't want you to do. And he did exactly those three things. How do you get there? How does that happen? In Luke chapter 12, we read from who I believe is actually the wisest man who ever lived, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. All kinds of greed. We tend to think of greed as just money, but it's not just, it's not just about money. Surely money's part of that, and, and you know, you've got to be careful of the greed, of, the greed for wealth. And Solomon 
allowed himself to be given into that. I mean, 25 to 30 tons of new gold every year, seriously? That's pretty greedy. But it's also about power. You see, at those times, having that huge number of chariots and horses was actually a, a demonstration of power because that's your army. You have that many horses and chariots. You've got a formidable army and you're showing the rest of the world how powerful you are. That's kind of a greed. I don't even know how to categorize greed when it comes to things like a libido that's off the scale that you need to have a thousand women. What Jesus is trying to tell us is that, you know what, you've got to really pay attention because it's just not about the stuff that you accumulate. I think the most important part of the story is the part that I've intentionally kept back here because back in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God just didn't give the kings the things that they weren't supposed to do. Yeah, there was the don'ts, and there were three don'ts. Don't accumulate gold. Don't accumulate horses. Don't accumulate too many wives, specifically foreign wives. But then he followed it with the do's, and this is where the magic happens when it comes to learning how to live in a, in a way that's wise. This is also from Deuteronomy 17, when the, and he, this followed it direct, directly. When the king takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. This was his job. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't uh, you know, off- offload this to somebody else. He didn't staff it out to, uh, to a, a young member of the, of the council. He had to do this himself. He had to copy it himself. Um, copy, uh, write for himself on a scroll, a copy of this law, the, meaning the three don'ts. Uh, it is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. I don't care who you are. If you're accumulating 25 to 30 tons of gold every year, if you've got 14,000 horses and you've got 1,000 women at your beck and call, you have somehow in your mind convinced yourself that you're better than everybody else. And this is actually what God had said not to do. But my point here is that he just didn't give him some things to not do. As it turns out, human beings are actually very, very weak when it comes to telling them what not to do. We've all heard the kind of the goofy example. If I stood here right now and I said, for the next 30 seconds, don't think about a pink elephant. I just... Uh, it, it, you, you really can't do it. Well, if you say, well, yeah, I just did. I was able to do it. Well, what you actually did was you gave yourself something else to think about because the brain does not know actually how to not do something. I want to show you a picture. This is a, an image that I, I, I've captured. It doesn't describe it perfectly. This is a picture of the brain. Uh, you know that old commercial, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs you know, with a fried egg? Well, this is kind of neurons in the brain, a graphic image. This is your brain when you're doing something and this is your brain when you're not doing something. So up top, you see all kinds of activity. You tell, your, you tell yourself to do something, and your brain fires up. It's got all kinds of things going on because it's doing something. If you tell your brain, don't do something, it kind of looks like this bottom one, which is actually a picture of what happens when you're not doing anything. Because if you tell your brain, don't do this, it doesn't know what to do with that. It doesn't know how to not do something. It only knows how to do something. So... We now know, kind of the collective wisdom we know now is if you want to break a bad habit, what do you have to do? You have to make a new good habit. The beauty is the bad habit is something you don't want to do. and You made the choice. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be this way. The good habit is something that you, by choice, and as a Christian, 
who want to honor God with your life, this is a choice I am making proactively, intentionally, strategically, tactically. I'm going I'm I'm to make this choice to do these things because if I do these things, then maybe I can stop thinking about the pink elephant or accumulating too much gold or horses. A thousand women? Really? What were you thinking? A thousand women? We don't know how to do nothing. We only know how to do something. God gave Solomon the right path to living effectively, to living wisely, because God's the one who made the brain. God's the one who knows you don't know how to do nothing. You only know how to do something. Here's what you need to do. Don't do these things, and here's how you're not going to do those things. You're not going to do those things by focusing on my commands, by focusing on these things, and the secret is all the time, each and every day, all the time. This is, like, this is super, super important. I got a screen here with a kind of a, a little catchphrase here. I want, you to, I want you to read this. If you don't do the do's, then you can't help doing the don'ts. Kind of roll that over in your mind again. If you don't do the do's, then you can't help doing the don'ts. If you want to stop doing something, you can't do it by sheer willpower alone. You're not wired that way. And I literally mean you are not genetically predisposed to being able to do that. You do not have that skill. It doesn't reside in you. The only way you can avoid doing those things is to create a new neural pathway. That's what the brain scientists would call it. And you start doing something else. And after a while, that new pathway gets so much easier. The other one kind of grows over like a jungle path that doesn't get used anymore. And it's always there. It's always there. But it just gets easier and easier and easier to do the right thing. And in the case of Solomon, and in the case of us, and in the case of my question to you, do you have deep wisdom where you can learn from the mistakes of someone else, is what is it that you need to do so that you don't do the don'ts? I know my answer. I'm going to go back to where we started here from Proverbs chapter 4. Solomon says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. See, the heart, that, that, that part of us that is kind of controlled by our baser instincts, you know, the pleasure-seeking, pain-avoiding thing, creature inside of us. We don't want to defeat that. We don't want to destroy that because that's our powerhouse. That, that part of us does all of our heavy lifting in life. What we want to do is we want to train it so that it actually works in our favor. And God has taught us from the beginning of time how to do that by having a focus. Keep your mind focused on these things. Continually over and over again in the Old Testament, he says, focus on God's laws. Meditate on his laws and his precepts Every day, every day, do it when you're getting up, do it when you're going to sleep, doing it as you're walking along the road, doing it as you're sitting down to supper, talk about it with your children, talk about it with your spouse. All the time, keep it in front of you because as long as you're doing that, you're not thinking about the pink elephant. You're going, we keep stopping, you can stop talking about the pink elephant. God's saying, stop doing the things you're not supposed to do. I don't know how, I'm too weak, I, don't, I just don't have any discipline. Exactly. So do these things because you have no discipline. The people, my experience, the people that appear to be the most disciplined are not the most disciplined. They simply are the ones who recognize how weak they are and they put some new structures and some new routines and some disciplines into their life because they actually lack discipline. For us, for me, the takeaway message kind of centers around what Jesus says here. Jesus captures this, I believe, very well. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your treasure is what you value. Whatever you declare to yourself to be important, that's where all of your energy is going to go. That's where all your effort is going to go. That's where all your resources are going to go. If you treasure gold or horses or your libido 
that's where it's all going to go and it's going to be pretty hard to kind of control yourself when the time comes. My message to you is how do you guard your heart? I think the word of God makes it very clear to us. It begins with the fear of the Lord. But part of that looks like this. Read God's word every day. 